Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Occasionalist. Matt Pagel here, once again, flying the Minnesota ship solo, uh, as I get into the last Minnesota, the last official Minnesota of March, as we uh, close out the month here this week. Now, I say this is the last official Minnesota, um, because I'm actually going to do a little uh, two-parter here, but the second part is going to be entirely on Instagram. Um, so this Minnesota... I was gonna do. I was good. I was trying to get some stuff done for earlier in the week, but um, work and life and some other stuff just got in the way. It was kind of like that was a, a kind of divine providence, I guess, um, because it uh, it does kind of push this all towards the end of the week, and it pushes it back towards uh, Major League Baseball's opening day. So I figured, why not do a little two parter, uh, a little a little opening day minisode um, with some trivia, and then. On, and then tomorrow, on Friday, we'll have the answers to that trivia and a little bit more context around some of the uh, the trivia, you know, the facts and trivia that uh, we're going to be talking about here in this minisode. So, yeah, it just kind of kind of worked out for the better. And this will be a, a pretty short episode. I, I'm willing to bet that uh, I can probably get through this one in about 15 to 20 minutes or so. Uh, I think it would be a good way to sort of... Uh, Tee up, uh, tee up uh, the beginning of baseball, which starts again t- today, as, as, the, as this episode comes out, at uh, 1.05. And I don't remember, I want to say the first game is the Giants and the Yankees. Um, there's a couple games scheduled, but one of them always ends up being first, right? Um, <clears throat> so let's uh, so let's just dive right into this. You know, we're, we're going to be covering opening, we're not going to be covering... I'm not going to sit here and go through and tell you like who I think is going to win the AL Central or the NL East or whatever... Um, it's, we don't have time for that. And also I just don't think it's that interesting. Um, so instead we're going to get into some opening day facts, um, just some stuff to consider when it comes to the, the first, uh, first game of the season. Uh, we'll talk some milestones that are upcoming and really it kind of, it'll put into context how hard it is to get to some of these milestones. Um, and then we're just going to get like a general kind of, did you know, um, to, to wrap up the episode. So should be a pretty uh, should be a pretty quick one, pretty fun one, and uh, you'll probably learn a few things about baseball that maybe you didn't know previously. So let's start it off. Then let's start it off with the opening day facts. And when you're talking opening day in baseball, there's no way to talk about it other than with the you got to start with the Cincinnati Reds. And it sounds a little bit weird if you're not uh, that into baseball, but the Cincinnati Reds almost always open at home. Um, a lot, and a lot of times the Reds are the first opening day game. Um, I know that's changed in recent years. Um, you know, sometimes there's like a, a night game before, um, you know, the official opening day, like, you know, ESPN wants like, um, you know, they want like a marquee matchup sort of on, on its own night before the rest of the league opens. But more often than not, more often than not, baseball, everyone in baseball starts in the same day. And a, a great many times the Reds have been the very first game. Um, and like I said, they almost always open at home except for a few, except for a few exceptions. And when I mean a few, I mean a few exceptions. So the Reds have been around, um, since I think what is it, like 1869, they are, they're the first professional baseball team. Um, you can, there's some other teams that lay claim to being the longest, like the, I think that the Atlanta Braves can claim the longest operating team. Um, but like it's. The team has changed names and changed hands, um, but I, I suppose in a, in a legal sense, you could trace the Braves all the way back to like the eighteen, the eight, early eighteen sixties. Same with like um, you know t- certain teams have had there've been multiple teams with the same name, um, like the Philadelphia Athletics. Uh, you know they're at one point in time, you know the Connie Max Philadelphia Athletics. 
eventually moved to Kansas City, then eventually they moved to Oakland where they sit now. Um, but there were like multiple other Philadelphia athletics teams in like the 1870s, 1860s, and 1870s. But in terms of continuous operation and being like the first, the the first uh, the first team of what would become the National League and then what would become Major League Baseball, it's the Cincinnati Reds, and it's I think I think there's like a little bit of a misconception about this. Um, it's not like Major League Baseball because they're like the first team. It's not like Major League Baseball um, has some kind of um, written rule that you need to open the game in Cincinnati. You need to open the season with Cincinnati. It's just sort of like one of those unwritten traditions or unwritten rules and a written tradition that Major League Baseball has just abided by. And sort of to get back to the actual number here, um, sorry, I got a little tangent there. But since 1876, the Reds have not opened at home only five times. That is a hundred and almost 150 years, 146 years of baseball, of opening day baseball in Cincinnati, and only five times they haven't opened the season in Cincinnati. That is essentially once every 30 years, they miss it. Um, so when it comes to opening day baseball, it kind of, it, it starts with Cincinnati. And again, I, I actually think this year Cincinnati is, um, the Cincinnati game is like a four o'clock start this year. So they're not going to be one of the first games, but, um, they still are opening at home. And, you know, there's, I think the last time that they, the last time that they didn't open at home was like 1990. So literally once, well, like I said, it averages up to about once every 30 years, and about 32 years ago, 33 years ago, is the last time they did not open at home. Um, so it's, uh, I don't know, maybe they're due, I guess, to open up on the road. But um, yeah, just kind of an interesting little a little interesting little factoid. Um, Cincinnati Reds. So <clears throat> speaking of, um, it's interesting, despite all those, like, all those times opening at home, the Reds are kind of pretty average when it comes to their opening day record. I want to say they're actually, they might even be below 500 on opening day, but it's one of those things that like it, it feels opening day. It feels like if you win opening day, it, it feels like, man, this is it. This is our year. Um, every, you know, everything's sort of magnified. It, you know, it, it doesn't really come into context and come into like view that like, Hey, by the way, you have 161 of these left. Um, so, you know, what is, what is, what truly does one game matter? Um, and this is sort of, and you know, so the reds kind of being generally, and you know, the reds have for, a very long period of their history were a very solid team, obviously. Um, but it kind of sh- this is one of those things that goes, goes to show you opening day really doesn't matter that much and doesn't determine success that much. And here's your other sort of little bit of this. So the Houston Astros are riding a streak right now. If they win today, um, this will be their 11th consecutive opening day win, which is exceeds a record. Um, they, they beat it last year. Um, the Reds had nine in a row, and the Tigers, I believe, had nine in a row as well. Um, I, I don't have the the years written down in front of me for those uh, for those respective streaks, but uh, the Houston Astros one is current. And again, if they win today, it'll be their eleventh consecutive opening day win. Um, and again, this is proof that opening day doesn't really matter. I, I know you want to. Why wouldn't you want to win opening day? But this streak for the Astros started back when they were busy losing 110, 105. 100 plus games every single season uh, before they became the juggernaut that they are now. So, yeah, it, it does, it, it is magnified. But I think because you have so many of them, you know, just remember that you have so many of those games that, you know, losing the first one, while it does suck, you do want to win your first game, get, get the season started on the right foot. It truly does not matter. Um, it's not like football where, you know, that's, you know, there's only 16 left. And, 
used to say used to be able to say 15, but now it's 16 because uh, there's 17 total games. You know, you lose opening, you lose your opening weekend in football. Not that it, not that it eliminates you from, not that it, in the NFL eliminates you from the playoff playoffs. But there's, you know, there's at least one team now that has, especially if you played a division opponent or a conference opponent. There's a team that now has a, you know, a tie break. Uh, a game up on you regardless of what happens the rest of the season and you don't have as many to make up. So it's a little bit more impactful in that case. But certainly in baseball, it just feels, it feels so big because this is, you know, one of our, this is one of the big traditions, um, you know, sporting traditions in the United States. So it does feel bigger, but fret not. If you don't lose, if you don't win on opening day, you got 161 more to make up for it. No big deal. And our last bit of opening day, uh, our last opening day fact here, and this will, this will uh, kind of, dovetail into our trivia question here. Um, president William Howard Taft began the tradition of the president throwing out the first pitch in opening day. He did so in 1910 in, in uh, Washington, D.C. for the Nationals and not the same Nationals. Again, these teams have, there's been multiple teams in Major League Baseball with uh, with, with various names. But it was uh, in 1910 in D.C. for the Nationals Athletics Games. Um, and then he did so in, he did so, the, he did the same thing in 1911. So, um so the the president throwing out the first pitch that that tradition is now over a hundred years old. Um, you know we uh, here in Cleveland uh, when we opened up our baseball park, um, <clears throat> Bill Clinton came and and threw out the first pitch. Uh, it was a, a lot of pomp and circumstance for that. Um, and then where did where did Bill eat? I want to say Bill ate at Slimans, which is fantastic if you're ever in Cleveland. Ever in Cleveland, you want to get uh, you want to get a, a great sandwich, great. Uh, um, corned beef sandwich, go to Slimans. Um, that was like the big thing. Um, the, the other big thing was, uh, also in that opening day, we almost got no hit by Randy Johnson. Um, so, uh, they, they did, they did end up pulling out that game, uh, back in 1994. Now here's the trivia part. So, like I said, uh, William Howard Taft threw out the first pitch in, had, was the first president to throw out the first pitch on opening day in 1910, did the same thing in 1911. But Taft missed throwing out the first pitch opening day in 1912. What was the reason that Taft, that uh, William Howard Taft, did not throw out the opening day pitch in 1912? I'll let you think about that one uh, before we get on to our next little bit of uh, facts in our next trivia question. All right, and I'll you'll get the you'll get the answer to that uh, tomorrow. But uh, I'll let you stew on it overnight. Now let's get into some upcoming milestones that. Um, that we're going to see some of these are going to come pretty early and I'm, I'm we'll call these um sort of i, I don't know we'll, we'll just kind of we'll check in on these later uh, i'm not going to make any like you know proclamations about when the exactly when these are going to happen and some of these are, are a little bit easier to sort of um some of these are easier to sort of kind of plan out than others but uh so some upcoming milestones we have justin verlander uh is looking at 250 wins uh he is currently at I believe it's 244 wins. So six wins, um, you know, could Verlander just rip off his first six starts uh, and get and go 6-0 and get this out of the way? Absolutely he could. He won the Cy Young last year. He was a great pitcher. He's on a great team. It is very possible that he could very quickly make, make uh, you know, hit this particular milestone of 250 wins. But I think it's going to come a little bit later. Um, I am I'm saying, and again, like I, it's hard to project out this far for like exactly when his starts are going to come but so i'm going to so can't get down to the day but i will say the week of may 22nd 
uh, is when Justin Verlander is going to notch his 250th win. That's my little, that's my best guess for when he's going to get to that milestone. Uh, right after that, another uh, another all-time great pitcher from this generation, Clayton Kershaw, looking for his 200th win. Um, I believe he is only three wins away. So this one um, probably going to very could very well could come in the month of April, more than likely will. Um, and obviously all of these little kind of predictions are barring uh, injuries and such. Um, so Clayton Kershaw, I'm, I'm guessing the week of April 17th. Again, good pitcher playing you know pitching for a good team um you know he could even if he's even if he isn't at his sharpest early on you could still get a couple of wins uh playing for the dodgers so clayton kershaw 200 wins week of april 17th now i'm only going to make one in terms of the next one here we're going to go for jose altuve and freddie freeman getting to 2000 hits they are the two they are the well they're not exactly the two closest but we'll get into that but uh, they're you know two of the two of the most notable you know former MVPs. Um, I'm only going to make a guess on Freddie Freeman, and I because simply because Jose Altuve is out um, for several weeks with that broken thumb and surgery that he suffered uh, in the WBC. So I can't really. I want to say he's only like sixty some hits away, but like I really can't. It, it, it just impossible to make a, an accurate guess uh, depending on when he comes back and everything else. So. Um, for this one, just going to go with Freddie Freeman here, who is, I think he's like just under 100 hits away from 2,000. Um, so I have Freddie Freeman, The and this is probably being pretty generous, um, but uh, but I, I'm also kind of thinking about uh, the way, you know, because of the banning of the shift, left-handed hitters, he probably is going to get a few extra hits here, here and there throughout the course of the season. So Freddie Freeman, week of June 26th, he will get his 2,000th hit. Now there are um, there are players that are closer than either Freeman or Altuve. In fact, Elvis Andrews I think is like four or five hits away. Maybe uh, you know what I mean. He might even be less than that. It might be like three or four hits. Um, but you know, Elvis Andrews role player um, for I believe he's with the White Sox right now. Um, he could he could theoretically get all those hits in the first game of the season and get to two thousand hits. Or because he is a role player and he's you know an aging veteran, he could also before this game tomorrow or before this game today could get sent down. <laughs> like um, you know if if you know if, if the the White Sox determined they wanted to do that. Um, same with Andrew McCutcheon, he's a role player. I want to say he's only like forty some hits away from two thousand, but like it, these these types of role players are a little bit harder to guess, um, simply because again Elvis Andrews is going to get to two thousand hits sometime this year. But who knows? You know, he could get like I said, he could designated for assignment, sent sent down. Um, he could sit on the bench for two weeks at a time. You know, in between at bats. Same with McCutcheon. Um, you know, it, they're just not getting regular playing time, so it's much harder to guess. Um, but these two, very Elvis Andrews, almost certainly at some point in time this season will get to two thousand hits, and McCutcheon, um, unless his playing time really shrinks, should probably get to two thousand hits at some point in time this season as well. Um, and you know the next wave of players to get to 2000 it's boy it really kind of puts into perspective um one how hard it is to get 2000 hits um let alone to get to 3000 hits which we'll talk about here in a little in a little bit um but uh, you know i think that's you know it's just one it's just how difficult it is but also the way the game has changed um you know guys that guys just not swinging for you know trying to get singles and stuff anymore for the most part um 
more launch angles, more trying to hit home runs. There's just fewer and fewer hits, which obviously we've talked about before. Major League Baseball is trying to change that. Um, so like the next wave of of the next wave of players, even near 2000, one, they're just not likely to re- rediscover their best days this late in their careers. You know, guys like Evan Longoria and Justin Upton are, are sitting around in like that 1800 hit range. It just seems very unlikely that they're suddenly going to find the fountain of youth and, you know, have a 150 hit season, you know, and then follow it up with like another another good season, uh, you know, this late in their this late in their careers as they approach uh, as they both approach their late 30s, early 40s. Um, Paul Goldschmidt, I, I would key him as maybe the next most likely player to get to 2000. Um, he's only 250, 250 hits short. He's 34, um, so barring injuries and things, he'll likely get there. But we're talking at least two seasons before he gets there. Um, you know, you know, and you know, if he does age sort of naturally, um, unlike unlike what you know what was going on in the in the 90s, if he does age a little bit more naturally, it's not like a, a guarantee that he gets to the 2,000 hits. I would just say that he's the next most likely player when you when you get farther away when you get to the there's there are obviously players in between Gold, Paul Goldschmidt and then the guys who are are very close to 2000 hits but a lot of them are you know very much very much been reduced to role players um you know very much not um they just really don't have a chance at this point Goldschmidt has a very good chance to get to 2000 plus hits but you know you, you never know when someone's going to fall off in 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 any kind of professional sport but I would I would pin my um, if I had to take a guess on a, like a long term one, Paul Goldschmidt I think would be the next most likely player. All right, uh, Giancarlo Stanton approaching 400 home runs, again barring injury, which has kind of been a story for him the last uh, several seasons. But barring injury, uh, I would say week of July 24th for Giancarlo to get to 400 home runs. Uh, Zach Greinke was looking at 3,000 strikeouts. And this is one I just don't think is going to happen. Um, he is, I want to say he's like 120 strikeouts away, which doesn't seem like that much, especially for a guy like Granke, who does, generally speaking, make 25-plus starts a year, even at this age. He's like 38, 39 now. He still makes you know, 25, 30 starts every year. But last year he made a bunch of starts, and he only struck out 73 batters. Um, you know, he, he is years and years removed. Not that he was ever a flamethrower, but certainly he is years removed from having his best fastball. Um, you know, he can still be effective sometimes, but it's just the idea of him suddenly striking out 120 batters. Maybe if he, it's not going to happen this season. Maybe if he um, plays a couple more um, or at least one more after this one, it, it probably would happen. But, you know, a guy bringing like an 86 mile an hour fastball um, just doesn't have the juice to strike that many guys out anymore. But uh Great career for Zach Greinke, nonetheless. Um, and, you know, give him credit for especially, you know, pitching as long as they have. Some, I think he's now looking at like almost his 20th season, still being effective enough to um, to pitch at a decent level at uh, age like 39 or wherever he is now. Uh, so Greg, Zach Greinke, 3,000 K, it's just not going to happen. Um, and this kind of, just to sort of put this all in perspective, um, these are some sort of non-controversial bets, you know, regarding some of the stuff that we just talked about here. So uh, Justin Verlander get to 250 wins. It's he's is he 40, I think, or 41 now. I think he's 40. Um, very unlikely he's going to continue pitching long enough to rack up 50 more wins to get to 300. 
Um, I suppose it's possible if he doesn't get injured and he just wants to keep playing, uh, but very, very unlikely. I mean, that's we're talking five more seasons of at least 10, you know. I I just think it's unlikely he's going to pitch until he's like 45, effectively enough to win, you know, at age 45, win 10 or 12 games or something like that. So Randy Johnson was our last 300-game winner, and Randy Johnson, period, is Major League Baseball's last 300-game winner. Um, there is just the way the sport gets played now, the way pitching is handled now, there is just no way that anyone is going to accumulate enough starts and accumulate enough decisions to even get that close to 300. Um, realistically speaking, you know, 300 was always like sort of guaranteed, like, you know, guaranteed hall of fame, um, entrance number. If you're, if you're a pitcher, realistically speaking, 200 wins, um, just the way that pitching is handled now, 200 wins seems like that's going to be the new benchmark for, for pitchers to, to meet, to get uh, hall of fame eligibility. Uh, so Randy Johnson is the last 300 game winner. I can almost guarantee that, uh, Miguel Cabrera. He's the la- he's the most recent player to get to 3,000 hits. Uh, he did it at uh, I want to say towards the beginning of last season, um, and Miguel Cabrera will be the last player to get to 3,000 hits. Again, just the way the game gets played, there's more walks, more launch angles, more you know more guys swinging for the fences and launch angle, more strikeouts. The the single is just something that isn't really valued uh, the way it, the way it once was, and. <clears throat> Sure, you're going to have a few more guys with the you know with the shifts being banned. You're going to have a few more guys getting a few more hits, but you're not. It's not like someone is going to accumulate an extra 50 hits a season because of because of the, the banning of the shift. Um, you know, I, I, my guess is that I'm sure we'll have data on this um, early on in the season. You know, but by the end of the season, you'll probably find that especially left-handed hitters, they probably got an extra like eight eight to 10 hits each. Um, this certainly isn't going to make it up for, this certainly is going to make up like an extra, you know, like, like I said, it's not going to make like an extra 50 hits or even like 20 or 30 hits. Like it's not going to make enough to over someone's career, add three or 400 hits to it. There's just no way. So Miguel Cabrera, I think will be the, the last player to get 3000 hits. And uh, I think I, I don't have the exact date on this, but I am also, again, even though, um, even though we're, we're you know baseball is trying to put a little bit more action and stolen bases back into the game, Ichiro last player to last player to 500 stolen bases and literally the last player to 500 stolen bases. It just isn't valued, even even in an era where we are trying to sort of encourage guys to steal bases. It still isn't the value. It still isn't valued the same way it was anymore. You don't really have that many leadoff hitters in the mold of Ichiro in the mold of a uh, Kenny Lofton, in the mold of, um, you know, Ricky Henderson obviously had some pop, but um, Ricky Henderson, more, his game was a little bit more, uh, obviously much more um, singles, doubles, walks, and stolen bases. Um, he's an all-time stolen base leader, of course. There just aren't players like that anymore. Um, you know, even, you know, just thinking about, um, you know, for a while there, uh, the the Guardians, although then when, Lin, when Francisco Lindor is playing for the Indians, um, you know, we hit, he was our leadoff hitter. He was a 25 to 30 home run leadoff hitter who, you know, would also steal 15 to 20 bases, but that's where, that's just like where the game is. Um, even leadoff hitters now are 20 home run guys and they're no longer, you know, 50, 60 stolen base guys. I'd have to look it up, but I want to say like the last 50 stolen base season was probably like six or seven years ago. 
And then I think you have to go back like eight or ten seasons to get like to 60 and 70 stolen base seasons. So it's been a while. And just because they're not valued the same way anymore, Ichiro will be our last player to 500 stolen bases. And this brings us into our next trivia question. Um, so like I said, I think Miguel Cabrera is the last player to get to 3,000 hits. But how about this question? Who was the first player to reach 1,000 hits? The charter member of the 1,000 hit club. Who was that? I'll let you ruminate on that one as we get before we get into our next section, which is just kind of a general, did you know? All right. Had some time to think about that. And like I said, I'll answer that question tomorrow. But for now, let's, let's move into uh, just a general, did you know? Um, and kind of food for thought here. So let's start off with um, one of the bigger stories from last season. We'll talk about Aaron Judge. Um, so Aaron Judge's 60 home run season hit 62, set the American League record, broke the Yankees record. Good for him. Um, but MLB went 21 seasons in between Judge's 60 home run season and the year that Bonds broke the record uh, with 73 home runs in 2001. So 21 seasons in between. Prior to um, let's excuse me, let's rewind all the way back to the first time the um, the, you know, the Babe's uh, home run mark was broken by someone other than him. Uh, Roger Maris's 61 home run season in 1961. Um, it took 37 seasons in between 60, in between, uh, uh, there's, excuse me, there's 37 seasons in between 60 plus homer seasons. Obviously, that's when uh, Sosa McGuire had the home run chase in 1998. Um, so that was the, that was the next time it happened. The next time it happened, happened after that, boy, you don't have to wait very long. Uh, in 1999, both Sosa and McGuire did it again. Um, then in 2000, no one hit 60 home runs. And then in 2001, my God, Sosa and Bonds did it again. Um, so uh, if you want sort of like empirical evidence about how significantly steroids warped baseball for a little bit, um, Sosa, McGuire, and Bonds are all obvious, obvious, like physically obvious, but also, you know, their numbers just became so bizarre uh, during this time period that like it's just, it's hard to deny. In fact, I think um, I think it's so yeah Sosa who has like five or six consecutive fifty home run seasons. And prior to um, prior to the home run chase in nineteen ninety eight, you could count literally on one hand the number of players um, that have, that have had multiple fifty home run seasons. Like Babe Ruth, like right at the top of the list. But then it's like. I, I want to say like Jimmy Fox had two seasons and maybe I should have looked, I should have written this down. And then like maybe Mel Ott had like one or two had like, well, he's got at least two, but I mean like it, it was just something that didn't happen that often unless your name was Babe Ruth. It's just something that just didn't happen that often. And then you have one guy do it five or six consecutive times. Another guy hit 60 plus twice. I, I mean like it's just absurd uh, where baseball went there for a little bit. Um, but I think now that we are, let's not fool ourselves. Steroids are not out of the game, but they certainly aren't. You're not just like walking through a clubhouse getting handed needles. Um, and you know, pitchers are, pitchers are much more cognizant about the way they, you know, pitching is really, um, I don't want to say caught up, but pitching is exceeded. Even though pitching was already, pitching's always ahead of, ahead of hitting. That's why baseball is so damn hard. Um, but even so, the last few years, pitching has taken uh, uh, several big steps even farther uh, ahead, of, ahead of hitting. So I think we're going to have another long wait between 60 home run seasons. Of course, that this year will, it'll happen. But um, I, it's, just not the norm. it's just not the norm. 
50, the next 50 home run season, sure, that could definitely happen this year. I don't think we'll have to wait that long for that. But I think, um, I, I do think that like this, we're going to, we're going to have much more, we're going to have a much better perspective in the next decade just to see how hard it is to hit that many home runs. You know, the farther and farther away we get from the steroid era, the more clear it will be just how hard it is to hit a baseball that far that consistently. All right, um, another little DIY, or DIY, DYK, did you know, here, um, that just sort of puts things into perspective. Uh, Dave Parker and Nolan, and then a little bit right after, uh, Nolan Ryan became pro sports first $1 million per year players. It was in 1979. Um, Dave Parker signed, like, they basically signed, like, within a month of each other. Um, and uh, I, I want to say Parker's contract was for, like, five years at $5 million, and uh, Nolan's Nolan Ryan's contract was, like, at four years for $4.5 million or something like that. I might, have, I might have those the exact numbers flipped. But basically, those are your t- first two professional sports uh, million-dollar men, million-dollar-per-year men. Now... It is very likely that this this is uh, Otani's uh, Shohei Otani's last season uh, before becoming an unrestricted free agent. It is very very likely that Shohei Otani will command at least fifty million dollars per season, perhaps even sixty million dollars per season at a you know six you know seven to seven to eight nine ten year kind of contract. It is very possible that Otani will become officially become the first half a billion dollar player. Um, you know not. No incentives, no um, you know, no guaranteed money because it's not like it's not football. Like all the money is guaranteed. It's very likely that Shohei Otani will become uh, sports first. Well, I should say North American sports first, uh, half a billion dollar player. And because uh, I mean, you know, you're paying for one of the ten best pictures. I mean, think about it this way: you're let's just say you're the 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 Yankees, the Mets, the Dodgers, one of those high payroll teams that can bring in a free agent like this. You are paying for one of the three best hitters in the league, and you're paying for one of the ten best pitchers in the league. And the only way you can do that is to spend. You know, normally you you spend that on, you know, it's a two hundred, it's two separate two hundred fifty, three hundred million dollar contracts. But it's one player. Otani is he is just. A, a, I mean, Otani is not from this planet, and he's going to get paid like someone who's not from this planet. So it just puts into perspective. Just forty three years ago. Uh, was the first time someone made a million dollars in sports, and now we're talking about someone making more making more money in a single season than a lot of even more recently even even than more recent superstars made in their entire careers. Um, so there you go, Shohei Otani. Hats off if you if you know him, boy. Don't don't <laughs> if you if you know Shohei Otani out there in Japan, boy, you are lucky to consider him your friend, I suppose. Now speaking of money. July 1st in baseball is Bobby Bonilla Day. This is where the long-retired former slugger earns $1 million deferred from the Mets. And it's always kind of a, it's always one of those kind of laughing, like, oh, the Mets, what a a bunch of idiots. They're still paying Bobby Bonilla. And, but like, yeah, sure, it's stupid. And a lot of it, the only reason, one of the only reasons why we know about it is because of uh, the Mets were involved in investing with Bernie Madoff. And that was like one of the things that kind of that kind of became clear was all of the deferred money uh, from from Bonilla's contract. Um, which and, I, and just to go back to that last bit of trivia, um, 
Bonilla at that at that point in time signed the richest base with the Mets signed the richest contract in baseball history, and it was for like five years, thirty million dollars or something back in like the mid nineties or early nineties, whenever it was. Um, again, just to show you to show you where the salaries have gone, but um, it was just one of those like you know one of those laughing at the Mets kind of thing, and like the Mets are kind of uh, uh, I don't they're not like a laughing stock, but certainly in 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 baseball they are a team that people like to make fun of because they do do some dumb things. But, like, they're really not the only ones – well, I mean, it is dumb getting – obviously, in hindsight, very dumb getting involved in Bernie Madoff. Um, they, they didn't feel like their investments would kind of pay for this in the long term, and obviously that didn't work out. But this is very common with these really big, long contracts in baseball, in basketball, and other sports. Like, there's always deferred money when you're signing when – when a team is signing a player to, like, an eight-, nine-, ten-year contract or something, just a, a large dollar amount. Um it, it, this they always do. This is a very common practice. It gives them payroll flexibility and the immediacy, and you know, and you know, if you're a player, boy, doesn't it sound great to get a million dollars every year until like you're sixty? Um, and actually, in the case of Bobby Bonilla, he'll get a million dollars every year. I think it ends in like a decade, a little over a decade. He'll be like in his early seventies by the time uh, the Mets stop paying him. But by the time he's not, no longer in the Mets payroll, um, and then. You know, again, like I suppose in, you would – in general, you kind of want as much money as up, up front. But as long as you've saved money and you're not just recklessly spending it, a guaranteed $1 million every single year for the next like 10, 12 years, yeah, I'll take that. So, again, while it is kind of funny to to mark Bobby Bonilla Day and kind of rib the Mets a little bit, he's not the only one. In There are recent deals, and by recent I mean deals that are a couple months old. Um, that uh, that have a lot of deferred money on the back, uh, uh, way on the back end. Uh, Rafi Devers, Rafael Devers, great third baseman for the uh, for the Boston Red Sox. Um, so he signed a ten year, three hundred thirty one million dollar extension with seventy five million deferred. So once the contract ends in uh, in twenty thirty three, from then on, every year until twenty until twenty forty three, the Red Sox will be paying Rafael Devers seven and a half million dollars in two installments. On two yearly installments, so seventy-five million deferred, a guaranteed. Well, after your playing days are over, and you're probably looking into your like fifties, um, a guaranteed seven and a half million dollars per year. That is not a bad deal. Uh, Max Scherzer. Now, this is actually from his original contract with the Nationals. Um, so Max Scherzer has a. Def- I believe the deferment started in twenty twenty two. I believe yes, 2022. Max Scherzer, 2.1 million dollars annually from the Washington Nationals from 2022 until 2028. Um, so like, there's um, my screen just went blank because I left that sit there too long. Um, <clears throat> so Max Scherzer, by the way, is still an active player for the Mets. He is getting paid by two teams currently. That is not a bad deal if you can if you can get that. Um, so 2.1 million, $2.1 million to the Nationals until 2028 while still being paid like $35 million a year by the Mets currently. Um, good, good job there. Um, Manny Ramirez, uh, who hasn't played in uh, quite a long time, will be making $1.9 million until, until 2026. And I believe his deferments started like nine or 10 years ago. Um, Brett Saberhagen. And, and this is kind of funny because it does go back to the Mets. And it's not a ton of money. I mean, it's a lot of money. I wish someone was paying me this much money. 
$250,000 from the Mets until 2029. And if you're not familiar with the name Brett Saberhagen, the last time he pitched for the Mets was like in 1992 or something. So over 30 years ago was the last time he was on the Mets. And, um, or at least that's when he signed the contract with the Mets that had the deferred money. Um, so we're talking, this is almost a quick math. This is like a, almost a 40 year contract. Um, uh, essentially that, uh, he once, once the Mets, I know it's not a contract that lasts 40 years, but essentially, um, you know, when you, when you add, I had the time that he was originally paid by the Mets until the last time we were getting paid by the Mets, he'll have been on their payroll for 40 years. Almost. That's absolutely ridiculous. So keep that in mind as I ask my last trivia question here. And also I'll apologize for running well over 15 minutes that I promised you. Um, but keep that, keep all that in mind as we get into this last trivia question here. Who is the fourth highest paid Cincinnati Reds player on the roster? Seems pretty straightforward. Um, so I'll answer that question tomorrow. Um, and, uh, we'll get into a little bit more. I'll get, I'll get, I'll, get, I'll have, I'll provide some context around these trivia questions as well. Uh, but look for the next episode tomorrow. It'll be entirely on Instagram. There's, it's going to be real short. Uh, no reason to even bother to post it in, in the traditional in, on the traditional channels. So look for that on Instagram tomorrow. And until next time, we'll see you.